Lights alive. How do we know she is alive? I hate when people talk during the movie. No wire hangers ever! You are tearing me apart, Lisa! Your stupid mimes. Stupid, stupid! Fresh meat. Doing the intro this time. You don't normally? Nightmare Alley, the courageous story of one man's mission to systematically fuck up the life of every single person he locks eyes with. Oh, we're just jumping straight just into jumping it today. straight fucking into it. I mean, most of them are carny folk, so whether or not they actually count as people. Rude. You said I wasn't allowed to say certain things, but you said it was absolutely fine to make fun of carny folk, which I'm taking as a as a golden ticket. It's not exactly what I meant. To spend the entire episode ragging on carny folk. You, are you worried we're going to isolate all of our carny listenership? All three of them? No, but I feel bad for carnival folk. A lot of the time, like P.T. Barnum, they were used exploitatively. Oh, yeah, the ones who used to, like, electrocute elephants and shit. The, yeah, but, like, the people who were indentured under them. Indentured servants, is that, is that a thing? Is that... Is that uh, they mis- I always wonder whether... A lot of not, people were mistreated. Like, maybe this is the British child inside of me. That sounded very strange. Maybe... <laughs> I didn't mean to say it like, stop looking at me! Maybe it's the Brit inside of me, but I just don't know enough about Carney folks because there isn't much of a Carney culture to Britain. We have like, I mean, we specifically have one regular Carn, but I think our Carnies are like chavs. Like oh, our Carnies, what? I mean, how many yeah, people? Pretty how many, chavy, I would say, <laughs> how, as a whole. How many subgroups can I offend immediately within the first minute and a half of the podcast? But those kind of carnivals were legal back then. It's <clears> things like that tend to be exploitative now. I, I'm sure there were like yeah. carnival. Themes going around. Rules and uh, regulations. Fine, yeah, but they've got to be regulated now. Well, I wonder how many, like, authentic, authentically um, dangerous, like, old-school carnivals still exist in the world. Like, not, like, dangerous, but, you know, those ones where you, like, see videos of, like, those... They're always, like, painted with, like, I think it depends neon... what country you're in. No, but I see, like, ones like the Hoppins in England. You see them, and they're, like, they're, like hanging on by shoestrings, and, like, the bolts are flying off as, like, the, the fucking Ferris wheel goes around, and, and you can look at it, and you think, right... I, I'm aware, I've worked in enough industries to know that health and safety regulations are more extensive than what you're doing for this. So there must be some legalities yeah, there. Yeah, have checks on them like every year, maintain the equipment, upkeep. There we go. And you learn something new every single day. Well, not, not necessarily interesting <laughs> things, but Liam likes, I think to, that's Liam likes to go on. I think people will be interested to know my opinions on the carny folk. I like carnies. I think carnies are the bread and butter of most American societies. The salt of the earth, if you will diametrically opposed to what you were saying five minutes ago. Do we want, do we want to talk about Nightmare Alley? <laughs> do we want to talk point? about Nightmare Alley? Let's get into the film we are talking about today. Hello everyone and welcome to the Bad Taste Buds Fresh Meat, the Bad Taste Buds sideshow where we talk about the latest cinematic releases straight from your phone. <laughs> I don't know, I've not came up with a regular opening for this one yet, uh, but I think that, that'll do. You suck so I, I don't bad. suck. I'm really excited. I'm like up a height because I'm going to talk about a film that I fucking love. Let's get into Nightmare Alley a little bit, and let's start with a non-spoilery segment. Non-spoilery for those people who, and I would recommend it, want to go see Nightmare Alley. Nightmare Alley is the latest effort from Mexican filmmaker Guillermo del Toro, a personal favorite of mine, and I know a personal favorite of yours as well. I think a lot of people in the West kind of um, started to become aware of his work uh, through Pan's Labyrinth, but I was actually way before that. I remember being a little spooky ghost child, being well into my haunted house films, and absolutely falling in love with Devil's Backbone. And that was my introduction anyway. And then all you normies were like, all you posers 
once Pan's Labyrinth came out and was like, oh my God, who's this guy? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I was, I was already there like five, five years ago. And then there's like the super posers who were like into Kronos, like even well before that. Like my sister, I remember she was a bit of a poser and she was really into Kronos. Pan's Labyrinth is my start. Pan's Labyrinth is it's fucking phenomenal. wonderful. Like what a film that is like not only overplayed and over kind of talked about in the public stream of consciousness and yet lives up to every single moment of hype. Like you can't really overhype Pan's Labyrinth, can you? Even today, like if I was going to sit down and watch it, I would be glued to that screen. Now, it's not to say the guy is flawless. I remember being like, there's a, there's a couple of films in his catalog that I'm not a massive fan of. Like, let's go through them. Which which of the Guillermo del Toro films do you like? We like we both like the Hellboy films, both of them. Yeah, correct. Like I think they're very underrated. I like films. the second one more than the first. The second one? one's fucking amazing. Golden Army for the win. Um, Pacific Rim, he did the first Pacific Rim, I believe, which is... I'm not as into big robots <clears throat> as you are. Well, it's not just big robots, Ryan. It's big kaijus or as well. kaijus as well. Um, I really enjoy Pacific Rim. I think it's a dumb fucking movie, but I think it's a really fun, dumb fucking movie. We also have other efforts. So, yeah, we've seen Devil's Backbone, which we both yeah, adore. Obviously. One of the saddest fucking movies I've ever seen. He did Blade and Blade 2, which I think we've both seen, I think. I'm looking at you. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. that yeah, man. new information he's to me. had He's had his little forays into the mainstream as well. Like, at least he didn't do Blade 3. Right? <laughs> I don't know who did that. I feel like in my head, everyone who does like part uh, threes of superhero movies, it's always Brett Ratner. And I don't know why, <laughs> because I know he did X-Men 3 and Let's ruined that franchise. Let's just fade into obscurity. He did Mimic, which I think is a pretty un- unknown um, Western kind of... It's it's not great. It's just like sci-fi schlocky, uh, you know, like Species, like those kind of films, those directed DVD films that you kind of don't expect too much from. Pass. Let's talk about his most recent kind of success anyway he's like he's had a lot of success in hollywood but most recently shape of water was the kind of was the one that brought him really the furthest into the mainstream that he's he's been obviously with the oscar win it won best picture it won best director that's probably his most his crowning achievement to this day and i know we both saw that in the cinema yeah i know how much you remember of it but it's 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 kind of wonderful i i remember everything but the details that's fair. I mean, you don't remember details of like, anything, pretty much. Yeah, so that, that's to be expected. But she fucks a fish. I'm, yeah, I remember that. I yeah. remember the set pieces. I remember what everyone looked like. It's, I still remember exactly well, the narrative. I actually think Shape of Water kind of leads nicely into the film we're going to talk about today because it's it's he clearly has a love for old Hollywood. Like he adores that kind of film noir aesthetic. Yeah, that's something else that I remember from Shape of Water. Old classic Hollywood. There's even that beautiful scene, that like 1930s throwback scene where it's all black and white and she's having like one of those, the main woman and the fish man are doing this beautiful choreographed dance. That's all these 1930s aesthetic. Even smaller examples like in this that we just watched, yeah. it has that uh, fade out on the screen where oh, the black yeah. starts coming in from the edges and like circles it on someone's face. And I just love that. The guy such is- a cute touch. The guy is such a geek for old Hollywood. It's really cute to watch and kind of beautiful to see him getting to relive his movie fantasies on the big screen and be able to make films like Nightmare Alley, which is another Guillermo del Toro masterpiece for me. Yeah, this he is a smashes it here. There's only one film in his catalog that I abjectly hate, and it's a film called Crimson Peak. And I don't know if you saw this with me, but I fucking I hate did. Crimson Peak. I have no idea what <clears throat> happened in that film. I was so confused and lost by the end of it. I gave up. Crimson Peak feels like someone pretending to be Tim Burton, but like someone who's never made a movie pretending to be Tim Burton. And I remember watching it, and I was like, this is not the Guillermo I know. Yeah, th- this is a return to form for me. This is an absolute abject smash that I think has a few flaws that we will get into. But ultimately, is this a, it's another lovingly lavish throwback to the 40s 
a remake, actually, a remake of a film I've not seen um, called Nightmare Alley that I think, again, I don't think the trajectory of the plot differs too much from the original Nightmare Alley. I don't fancy watching it, even if it's just like a skim through YouTube looking at different clips. Well, I've heard I've heard the original. A lot of people saying, even people who really love this film are saying the original Nightmare Alley is actually better. It stars Tyrone Powers and Joan Blondell, uh, two kind of, I think, really big actors of the time who were very much into the film noir scene. Uh, and I think it's Edmund Golding, the director. So he had a lot of, again, a lot of credits in the film noir, Dark Victory, Grand Hotel, um, uh, IMDb. 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 Uh, but yeah, um, he he kind of, I, you can tell his love for this genre. It almost feels like watching a kid play with his toys and you can see like the love he's having with it. Like, you know, when you could just get those little butterflies when you're like, this guy clearly loves what he does for a living. Yeah. I just think that's the element, the big takeaway that I enjoyed the most out of this is that when you watch a filmmaker who clearly has a passion for his craft. Yeah, it's very carefully yeah. and delicately <clears throat> crafted. So a basic basic rundown of the plot. Nightmare Alley follows Stan, who's kind of like a grifter. He's a he's a, he's a man of a troubled past without going too much into spoiler territory. Uh, he runs across this carnival run by Willem Dafoe and he quickly kind of integrates himself into the carny folk because he has a, a unusual talent for, and what was the word they use? Mentalism? Mentalism. No, that's it. And it, it, it's, a, it's a big deal. And I actually have watched a few uh, documentaries, like little mini documentaries since about mentalism and it's it's a big industry like even today people are kind of obsessed with this idea of mentalism of course it is it's a huge thing i'm surprised you had to google well, that no, i mean is, is it kind of what darren brown does like, yeah yeah it's exactly what darren brown does that, like, i mean you just hate like magicians and things you know what, so i'm not though? surprised this isn't on your radar but i kind of this kind this film kind of made me have a new appreciation for it in a way because it takes a lot of intellect a lot of preparation circumstance yeah but obviously this film having Bradley Cooper, oh, Stan so is quite the charmer. He charms his way into the bed of uh, a young... What's her talent? Just getting electrocuted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, she's practiced being electrocuted a lot and she lets volts pass through. So he James. charms his way into the bed of a spark plug played by Rooney Mara uh, called Molly, who's this kind of young upstart who kind of falls for his charms pretty much immediately. And the film is nicely segmented into two bits as well. Again, we are avoiding spoilers, but you will have to prepare yourself for a long movie. Not, yeah. a, not a slow movie by any stretch. I think it's well paced. Like when we've watched things like Pig lately and Green Knight, I've came you're, out of them you're, you're feeling on, you're like nice boy. I could have watched this at home more comfortably. It was long and it felt longer to me, despite the fact that the pacing was really good in them. Like I just didn't have the constitution, but this kept me enraptured pretty much well, throughout. And I, and I think a lot of that has to do with the way Guillermo del Toro directs his scenes, because you're almost not never allowed to be bored because of just how phenomenal his direction is. And what I said when we came out, I said, this is, this is an example of a director at the top of his game. This is someone who knows his craft. He knows how to pace something kind of perfectly in this weird way. Like, it is segmented. And you almost feel like there's almost too much plot here to really cram into, two, even into two and a half hours. I, I often wonder these days, could this have been better as a uh, as a TV show? And I do think this would service for, very well as a TV show. Oh, it would, wouldn't it? I'd watch that. <clears throat> or at least a spin-off. I would watch a spin-off of, like, maybe watching what the carnival folk do afterwards. But our real our real focus here is Bradley Cooper's uh, is, is Stan and his kind of misadventures. And we're watching a man who is, I don't want to say an abject dickhead, but he's kind <laughs> of an abject dickhead. Um, just kind of fuck up his way into success and then into failure. And again, I, I don't want to go too far into what the plot's about. 
the acting is phenomenal. I think Bradley Cooper especially kind of knocks it out of the park. But he's kind of joined by a all-star cast. The sheer star power that's on display here. You've got Willem Dafoe. You've got Tony Collette. You've got Rooney Mara. You've got Ron Perlman, who we love so much. Again, one of my only real complaints is not having enough Ron Perlman in my film. <laughs> which is like, I would complain about any yeah, film. Yeah, two and a half hours of Ron Perlman wouldn't be enough. I'm just looking at my stack of DVDs here, and I do honestly genuinely feel that every film would be improved with the inclusion of Ron Perlman. <laughs> Uh, let's have, I'm, just, I'm having Dave a look made a Dave made a maze. <laughs> Could you imagine if he played the Minotaur in Dave made a maze? Would that not be immediately better? Uh, well, he has a mask on the could entire play... time and has no lines. <laughs> Maybe not. I feel like he could play. But did you forget Kate Blanchett? <laughs> no, no, I was, get, I was getting Kate Blanchett because I feel like Kate Blanchett, Blanchett's she... a conversation all in itself. Exactly. Yeah. She was absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. I mean, obviously, as the gays. Oh, she she's a Kate massive. Kate Blanchett is a queen. She's a massive uh, gay advocate. The gaze. And if you haven't seen that iconic interview, it's for Cinderella, I think, and it's fucking wonderful. You should, if you haven't seen it, Google Kate Blanchett Cinderella interview and just thank me later. But yeah, she is a presence all in her own. She she more or less plays the iconic femme fatale of any film noir. She has that Morticia Adams lighting where they mm, light yeah. her eyes a lot. But even with the way she's introduced, she's introduced in this like smoky piano bar where she just keeps light. I think she lights up like six cigarettes in that space <laughs> of time that we we get to meet her. But everything she does is so poised, so... And elegant, and oh. effortless, and just like I want to be in that skin. I feel like I would just flow through the air. No, that's exactly, exactly the words that were in my head. I was about to say she just floats through every scene, doesn't she? And she's just so effervescent and just she's a she is a gay boy's wet dream. Like it's it's that kind of performance. Should be every boy's wet dream, honestly. And and you're right. This, just the star power on display here is enough is is enough to recommend. Like even if this film was shit. I would be able to recommend it just because what a fucking cast. It's a yeah. it's a bonus that the film actually ended up being phenomenal as well. Even down to Mark Povanelli doing the major, he was such a cute combination of Surly, which less cute, but very loving as well, especially yeah. towards Rooney Mara's character. And it was so cute and cuddly all around. Like Ron Perlman was the same where it was like, you touch my girl, I'll break your neck. <laughs> but like they all love each other. Yeah. And what you were saying about not being allowed to be bored, all the carnival scenes, there was always something going on in the background, whether it was something on display, interesting to look at, or the carnies at work in the background, practicing their craft, their different acts. Well, I feel like a lot of it is the staging and the way that Del Toro stages his scenes. He, he is so experimental, and he is so entrenched in that level of extravaganza and that level of... It is extra. It's very grandiose in its setting and in its direction to where he experiments so much with lighting. He experiments so much with the fact that every time we're on in a street, it's snowing and it's this like abject kind of dissonance between like the dark alleyways or the geometric shapes, like even to the abstract shapes of Dr. Ritter, Kate Blanchett's character's office, the way we're introduced to her in her doctor's office. It's like these weird geometric like pyramid shapes almost and it's so uh, it's so obtuse and kind of like garish but so garish that it kind of comes back on itself and ends up being beautiful this is kind of what i wanted uh baz lerman's great gatsby to look like like you know how that was like overblown i get that yeah that was like overblown and a bit like ugly that was over stylized yeah. this is just <clears throat> hyper stylized th that, that's the difference that's the difference i think as much as it owes to films like double indemnity or long goodbye or the big sleep i also think it owes a lot to kind of todd browning's freaks which is this like seminal 1930s freak show film as well it has a it has one foot in the film noir films of the 40s but i think it has the other foot in a lot of early gothic horror which i think Del Toro was always shown that he has this love for gothic horror. 
even down again down to the minutiae of the scene down to the, the the shadows that are cast on characters and just the tension in a lot of scenes there's a few scenes that are just so incredibly tense that you're just i, I remember gripping you at one point i was like <laughs> I, remember. I am so nervous for what is about to happen here and he doesn't let you really have a moment to catch your breath and i think that's it just it is the sign of a master craftsman at the top of his game. But he does it so well in my careful memory. I always think <laughs> that he's a pure horror director and that's all he does. Yeah, yeah. Every time, just because it's always that kind of style and theme, even if it's not a right out horror story. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. I say it was a love story, but in my head I'm like, oh it's dark. It's all right. well, I mean, this is what he does. He straddles the lines of genres so perfectly that you can kind of get away with saying that this this has horror elements to it, but it's it's more than that. It's it's a story of of redemption, or, or should we say lack thereof redemption. It's a story of a man with deep flaws and the hamartia that comes along with that. I, I feel like a lot of his best films are where it focuses on the relationships and the people yes. and the characters. Which which is get is gonna is gonna lead me into my 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 one and only criticism. I because I, gr- I agree with you. You're right. Well, your comment on the major um, on all these the carny folk have this beautiful relationship that you can see is well established and that you can see is. Um, is it's 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 heartwarming to kind of cherish those moments that we get with them, but I don't think we get enough time with the Carney folk. And the time we spend with Stan, I think ultimately we're spending the majority of the film with a deeply unlikable character. And I understand the necessity for that. I understand the purpose behind that. But I also wonder whether or not this film would be elevated and that I think that ending would have hit harder had we had a, a bit more affection for Stan in the early hours of the film. Yeah, well, quite possibly, but I don't really feel the need to like Stan to sympathize with him, yes, but I also I don't get those heartbreak feelings, you are correct, but I don't feel like I need them from this movie. I just, I'd, I'd feel like it would elevate it just just a tad had this, uh, this downfall come from a more redeemable character, from a more likable character. Now, I, I think we're about ready to talk spoilers, so let's just give a quick... Uh, wrap up for those people who haven't seen it and want to go see it. Uh, this is a phenomenal movie. This is similar to my feelings on West Side Story, where we're watching a filmmaker who has made better films. I don't think this is Guillermo del Toro's best film. However, as far as just the level of craftsmanship on display here, this is his best directed film. This is his most experimental film, and this is his most loving film. It's a joy for the whole two and a half hours. I, I honestly, I uh, I defy anyone who doesn't <laughs> at least, at least think that on an aesthetic level, this is a masterpiece. I would, I would, I would allow if you maybe think the plot is not quite as tight as it could be, or the characters aren't as, but on a purely directional level, this is an unequivocal masterpiece. And I'm going to give it like a solid 9.5 out of 10 and a glowing recommendation to go see this multiple times in the cinema. Yeah. I mean, just a great I start to 2020. I, I agree. Uh, fantastic movie. I don't know if it's for everyone, but I mean, not everything's for everyone. Uh, I'm going to give it a nine. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. No, I disagree on the character needing to make us sympathize. Well, let's get into it. Empathize with yeah. them. Let's get into it. Because now that we can talk, so if you haven't seen it and you want to see it and you don't want spoilers, go the fuck home now. Go to the cinema. Go order some nachos. Bring a carny with you. Go to your local carnival and pay for their ticket because they do a lot for this country. God damn it. Um, let's do spoiler talk. 
That ending hits really hard. <laughs> like, let's just get the ending hits really hard. So the ending, I think, is this big moment of catharsis and hubris. It is this moment where everything that Stan has, has done up to that point builds to this uh, crescendo of, yeah, you kind of got what came to you there, mate, didn't you? But also, I do feel like it it was very telegraphed for a yeah, long... Yeah, from pretty much start. Yeah. It wasn't a hard one to read, but that didn't make much of a difference. The point was, from start to finish... You knew who Stan was. He never deviated from his character. Mm. He didn't learn anything particularly. <laughs> who did? But he's just kind of living a troubled life. He's playing with the deck that he's got, and he rode some highs and sunk really low. Was it that was that happens. a um, was that a carny pun with the deck thing? It wasn't meant to be. But let's talk like about Zena. Let's talk about Zena because you know what? We didn't actually mention Tony Collette too much in the the main review. We mentioned her, but she—I mean, she's always phenomenal. I do think she's overshadowed. Both her and Rooney Mara are slightly overshadowed by Kate Blanchett. Um, but I don't think that's to detract anything from their performance. I just think Kate Blanchett get, gets more of the uh, more screen time and more of the kind of more of the onuses on her character yeah. because I think she's almost a parallel to Stan as well. She is Stan's equal in that they're both massive bastards <laughs> massive bastards but she's just smarter about it so you have molly who represents the life that stan should choose yes that would be a simpler life but it would be complete if you learn to accept it yes and Kate blanchett is the complete opposite of that from start to finish you should be able to tell nothing but destruction is waiting in that relationship oh it's 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 pure toxicity from the beginning isn't it the second we're introduced to it again just those conventions of film noir you can see this is danger. This, I mean, she is the stereotypical femme fatale. It's telegraphed all the way through. Yes. Even with Zena and Pete, Pete being David Stratham. Oh, he's great though. Oh, he's so he's, good. He's in Grace and Frankie. Oh, yeah, of course, in Grace and Frankie. He's oh, one he's of the gays. So his character isn't in the entire movie, obviously, but he is very heartwarming. He's very nice, pleasant, amicable. But he's also he's like also a, a drunk. I mean, he's also a bit However, of a harbinger, really, isn't he? As well, he's that he's that foreshadowing is probably the best way to put it. I think Pete is one of the biggest moments where, like, this is what this is this is the way your life could go. At every turn, Stan kind of ignores all those those foreshadowing moments. Doesn't start at the beginning, but even what I was saying. Sorry. First time you meet Zena, you have Pete who. Eventually takes him under his wing, starts training him in the mysticism arts. But he sleeps for Zena almost yeah, right. immediately. She comes on yeah. to him while he's in the bath. And first time she's met him, and they just... This is why he's such it. a bastard. Like but it's telegraphed all the way through. All the way through, he says that he's a bastard. He's no good. Same as Kate, he calls Kate Blanchett no good. He somehow forgets that she's no good somewhere along in the process. But it's never strayed away from that. It never makes you think he is more than what no, he is. No, and I know, and I agree with you, and I totally agree with you, and I don't think it's... I think you can tell this was an inten it was an intentional choice. So I can't really fault Del Toro for making that choice. You shouldn't really complain about the movie that the director didn't want to make, but I do feel slightly... I, I just wonder whether or not... And I, do, I would be interested to compare it to the 1940s version to see if Stan's a more redeemable character. I just think I wish you watch it and find out. I just think better stories are told with characters who have that pathos. And I I think if you're kind of rooting for a character to get that comeuppance from the moment he enters the screen, I just think there's not as much of a cathartic moment when he makes that fatal flaw, that 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 uh, moment of uh, decision making that leads him down the nightmare alley. We don't get all the way <laughs> to the top of the roller coaster there, but we make it quite high in the terms of how hard that plunge hits at the end. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, I mean, speaking of roller coasters, just my god, how beautiful every single time they would like zoom out and do a really long, uh, a really wide shot on the carnival. How fucking gorgeous everything is. They'd have that big silhouette. <laughs> beautiful. I love the rain scene where they're <clears> packing away. And it gave me Dumbo vibes with the, the men in the cloaks and the rain max, like, trodden on the tents, pulling the ropes. Just with a lot less racism. But Molly gave me enough innocence and heartbreak, so I didn't feel like I missed out too much. Just Rooney Mara, man, forever being one of the most underrated actresses of our modern era. Like, she's so fucking... She just gets that innocent, sweet, innocent farm sweet, girl. She does, and that is a big jump you from Elizabeth her. Salinger. She was so good as Elizabeth as well. She, I feel like she always gets overlooked because of um, how wonderful Numi Rapace's performance is as well. But she did a fucking phenomenal Elizabeth. This is one of my favorite films so far of 2022. I know it's it's, <laughs> it's very been, early. It's in been 24 days, uh, but I do think this is this is hopefully going to be something that sticks around onto my best of list because just wow, wow, just wow. I I think it's going to get overlooked by the Oscars because I don't think it's the type of film. It's very much a genre film. It, it it's it's masterful filmmaking, uh, and I would recommend it to everyone. Anything else you want to cover before we depart? I'll try and keep it brief because I do feel like I could talk about this one for quite a while. Man, let's talk like, about it. On a rewatch, I think you should watch the characters' relationships. Yeah. Oh no, closer. absolutely. It's one. I think that's one of my favorite parts in the movie is the interactions with people. I know Stan's quite telegraphed as a character. Molly is obviously easily innocent. Dr. Ritter is the femme fatale. And they read pretty obvious. But I love the way everybody interacts with each other. The things that are so obvious that people are literally shouting in Stan's face. Don't be a dickhead. Don't go too far. You're going to shit the bed. Down to when Xena does a card reading, tells him he's the hangman, and his arrogance, mm -hmm. he flips the card mm -hmm. thinking that he just has the power to easily change fate. He's a grifter, man. Without having to put any work in. I kind of admire him a little bit, right up until the point where he starts murdering. I mean, that's pretty early, actually. It's the first thing he fucking does. Well, it's the first thing he does, yeah. I do he love kills that. his dad before he gets to the car. I love that as a mentality. The second anything doesn't go his way, he's such a petulant child that as soon as something doesn't quite go his way, he's like, I'll just kill him. I'll just kill him. But even Pete from, like early on was warning them off saying when you start to believe the lies mm -hmm. that you are omnipotent that's when the problems begin you don't do a spook show and it wasn't in that obvious way of oh yeah i think i'm a telepath i can know what the dead's thinking it's that mindset of i am more intelligent and powerful than the average man you know what i really yeah, absolutely right though he, he does have that that's that level of arrogance that is is kind of what cements his character and I, I do think it would be difficult what i'm asking for that idea of like a path a, a character with a lot of pathos would be hard to balance with a character with a lot of arrogance he has that charm as well where he gets around the carnival and becomes a well-known figure in the community really quickly I mean, that kind of flattery constantly can't be easy for an ego to take, especially no. once predisposed to inflation. Uh, but I actually, speaking of um, speaking of none of what you just spoke of, I actually wanted to talk uh, about <laughs> about something I really, really like. Is uh, we didn't even talk about on the main bit that I think we should have covered. The dialects are cool as fuck. Like the way he does colloquialisms as well. The way he like integrates this 1940s slang into the whole film where it's yeah. almost like a little bit like there are some conversations where you have to keep up he, he doesn't underestimate the audience's intelligence which i really appreciate like a, a lesser director probably would have just flattened out all that dialect and maybe you would have kept maybe the southern drawl i quite like it makes it feel slick like yeah. you're actually being con throughout because 
they speak fast, they speak double talk, but they also out upon the show, yeah, do they're... an accent, give the audience what they want, yeah. something sultry, something I mean, slow. I mean, see, he, I mean, he doesn't quite talk like this, see? He's like, hey, you grease monkey, you get that wrench and you get to work on that jackhammer, see? It's not quite that. It's, it's, it's nuanced, and I think you can tell there's a lot of research into it. We actually haven't, weirdly enough, talked about one of my favorite performances, which was Richard Jenkins as Ezra Grindle. The kind of, he's almost set up as like an antagonist towards the end, uh, but he is menacing as fuck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to run into him. He's menacing as fuck. He clearly gives no fucks. If he wants you dead, you're going to be dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But again, like, again, the big turning point where he asks to apparate, uh, sorry, get, yeah, apparate's the right word, uh, the, the vision of his dead wife. And then there's this, like, little reveal where it's like, oh, and all those other women, I uh, I ruined their lives as well. I'm like, holy shit, this is a bad fucking man, isn't it? Um, yeah, man, literally at that point, you should have bailed, went to Vegas yeah. and just done shows wearing a mask. I kept wondering this. I kept where I was like, right, can, this is the 1940s. Skipping town is not that difficult, surely, right? If you have enough money, he's already got the money from Ezra at this point. Get a fuck, buy a car. He has, he has a car. Get in your fucking car and drive the fuck somewhere else. Cut your losses. Leave before leave. you get this, this mob boss uh, psychopath. It's really the only way to describe him, really. It was this beautiful moment, again, with uh, Kate Blanchett's character, where she says, you, the second you have men who you don't want after you, after you, your world gets really small. And I felt <laughs> that. And I felt that in the, in the actual, like, the staging of the scenes, because what Del Toro does so fucking phenomenally is, like, any outside scene, they're always filmed really close to buildings. We don't actually get that much of a scale of what this, how big this city is in those like later scenes and everything's that makes filmed it feel so close. All the bigger. It makes it feel it makes it feel big but I think it also has this level of claustrophobia. Oh the scenes themselves but in terms of I'm thinking of Ezra's mansion. Yes, yeah. And in my head that thing is limitless it has no end but yeah. we're always confined. It's always tight. If you can't tell guys we really like this movie and we would like you to go see this movie please. Thank yeah. you. Support anything that any of these actors are in really. I was about but... to say, support anything Del Toro's made other than Crimson Peak. Other than that. Yeah. No, it's fucking <laughs> wonderful. This is the thing. I, there's very little. We've kind of run the gamut as, as to how much we can come over this film. I think I am all out of. of That's it. Yeah. I'm just juice. now dust at this point. Yeah. Um, fucking loved it, man. Go see it. And thank you so much for watching. Anything else you want to add, Ray? Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. But go see it. Yeah. Go keep these kinds of films alive. Before we know it, it's just going to be. Big blockbusters and Marvel movies. Oh, I'm glad you started dug. I keep getting so much shit for dogging on Marvel movies, but you did it. I'm not time. dogging on Marvel. You've done it this time. So it's but fine. it's Disney. <laughs> Disney had taken over the cinema, and I like variants. And I pay for my cinema pass. Yeah. I don't want to have to go to a second cinema. Oh, but aren't you excited for the, the director's cut of Spider-Man Homecoming? It's going to add a fourth Spider-Man. It's going to be Spider-Pig. I would, I would, I would actually watch, watch that. that. Uh, but thank you so much for listening, guys. This has been Liam and Ryan at the Bad Taste Buds Fresh Meats. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we will see you very shortly. Bye.